So today is Tu Bishvat, Parshat Bashalach, Tufshin Pei Dalid. So I would assume that anybody who's going to ki- kind of try to pivot and do some kind of a Tu Bishvat thing with this week's Parsha, so the, the way that you do it is you go to Perak Tetvav Pasuk Kaf Hey, where water, the, the water, we have water, but it's not sweet. Which also goes to how we complain. Vayitzak el Hashem, vayareo Hashem eitz, vayashlech el hamayim, vayimtaku hamayim. Shem sam lachok mishvat sham nisel. So most likely you would do something with this. How that somehow the tree, the nature takes away the bitterness. By the way, bitter is mar. Mar in gematria is two hundred forty. Two hundred forty in gematria is amalek, which actually may be quite interesting or important. But I am getting way ahead of myself. So I said that's that. That is the proverbial low hanging fruit. So why would we go for the low-hanging fruit even on uh, on Tubishvat? So let's go back, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do something which I've done before. So for their complete apologies, even though when I did it before, I did it completely differently, and I'll explain that as we go on. And that is what I did the last time is I really focused on something that the Vilna Gaon said, and I I tried to then connected to other things the Vilna Gaon said, and then try to show how the Vilna Gaon has a particular teaching over here, but you don't understand what I'm saying yet, because I'm getting way ahead of myself, and I'm not going to go there, And which is why it's going to be a bit different today, even though I'm going more or less down the same path, but I'm saying it's more or less. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a less rather than, than more. So I, I, will, I will explain all of this. One more thing about Tu Bishvat, and that is that, you know, downstairs, anybody wants to join, they're having some kind of a Tu Bishvat celebration, they're planting non-fruit bearing something, which is completely preposterous. <laughs> For anyone who needs to know, the first person who had this wonderful idea to plant on Tu Bishvat was in 1890, a fellow named Zev Yavitz, who you may recognize from his 14-volume history series of uh, of Jewish history. You may not recognize him from that either, but uh, what a, he was teaching something which I, I would say is like high school, and he had this great idea, let's get a day off today and let's go outside. And then it was adopted by the teacher's union. Teacher's union said, wow, this is a good idea. And just, just, just recognize the real issue, and that is that there's no holidays for a stretch of time here, especially when you have two others. Then, like, you, you need some kind of a day off. So this became, like, a really good idea. There's a letter from of Cook by the time he's back. But, but see, that's actually authentic. Or, or, or when I say authentic, in a limited sense. Because among Chachmei Ashkenaz in the Middle Ages, it was debated whether you say Tachon or not. The only thing there is about, about Tu Bishvat which is authentic is that it is demor- and that's Machloket Behilom Bechama, it's a demarcation about Trumot and Masrot, which means you can't give Trumot and Masrot from one year to the next, so one is the year over, so the year is over this one. Presumably, this is the time of year that, this part is true, Hashkedia Parachat. It's when things start to grow again, so therefore the new fruit that grows, you can't take Truma from the new fruit from the old fruit, on the old fruit, from the new fruit, this is a demarcation, which means it's not a holiday for trees. That's this terrible secret. It's a holiday for the fruits of the trees. So uh, planting some bulbs is a really nice thing to do. And uh, it's a holiday which has this wonderful combination of some Kabbalistic sources, some probably Shabbatian, Shabtai Tzvi sources, probably probably made up the Seder. And, um, And then you have this whole Zionist infusion as well. So, if you want, I gave a whole lecture on this, and I can direct you to it. But you don't have to waste your time now, because now you, 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 you now you heard now you heard the the bottom line. 
you heard it on a scale of one to ten. What was it? It was good. But well, it, it was. It was. A little depressing. It's not. After twenty-five years of doing theaters, well, it's only depressing if your expectations are high. Take down your expectations, and then it'll be wonderful. So, so now, now we're going to start. And of course, when we talk about trees, which I already told you, it's not really about trees. It's about the fruit of the trees. But when we talk about trees, you know where we go to look for our fruits. And we're going to start with source number one, which is the Tikkuni Zohar. And it starts with, and this is a Hebrew translation because I have a little bit of compassion for you. V'ha'etz shel perud bentov l'ra. So, Take a, take a deep breath now, and let's try to understand this. When it comes to the tree of Eitzadatovara, so this should be obvious if it's Tubishvat, which trees we're talking about, or the fruits of which trees. So when it's when you're talking about the, the tree of the Eitzadatovara, Tzorech Lasot Peirud Bentovlara, you need to do a separation between good and bad. Another way, or a different terminology other than perud, separation, again, there's a Hebrew tra- translation, would be to do a birur, levarer. Borer is one of, of course, the 39 melachot, which somehow is connected to agricultural things where you separate good from bad. You separate, or, right? You take away the bad and then, and then you leave the good. So over here, also the separating, now this may be, what do you separate? You separate the good from bad, the bad from good. So we don't know yet. So what the Zohar is saying over here is, yeah, the, the, and by the way, this is the Tikkuni Zohar. So remember, the, the, there are Tikkunim taking place over here. So the, the, the Tikkun, the fixing over here, is the separation between the good and the bad, which is the separation between the light and darkness. Now, light and darkness is pretty stark. So to separate between light and darkness should be something which is not so challenging. You need to separate the bad so that the person is left with the good and there's no Yitzhahara, which means theoretically it was ingesting from the Yitzhah Tovura, which gave us the Yitzhahara. So now I know that that's a little challenging. So, 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 folk, Metatron is an angel. Stay on, leave Metatron for a moment. Memtet over here means 49. It's the 49 which really emerges from the essential aspect of the name Metatron is the 49. Haim arba imvitesha panim tahor. Which means separating between good and bad, pure and impure. There is tahor and there's tameh. So there's a number of places in Chazal that speak about the 49 levels of tameh and 49 levels of tumah. And by the way, let's remember, because part of what we want to get back to is leaving Egypt. And leaving in, in leaving Egypt, you know this Kabbalistic <laughs> idea that we sunk down to the 49th level of tumah. So over here, now realize also leaving Egypt. If we are in the midst of tumah, part of what we're going to need to do to leave Egypt is to somehow emerge, separate, to 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 extract ourselves. That's the word to extract ourselves from that from that tuma. Now it could have been before I started saying all this. We all imagine that leaving Egypt is something which is geographical, or leaving Egypt is something which is political, or leaving Egypt is something perhaps which is economic. But over here, it's talking about something which is completely spiritual, and we haven't gotten to Egypt yet. Although we've gotten to so far is that when you separate something good from bad. I mean, later on, we're going to learn in the Torah when it speaks about certain sexual outrages. It says, and don't do the practices in Egypt. 
which means, no, you need to separate, not just from Egypt, but from Egyptianiyut, you, right? Mitzriyut, you need to separate from as well, and you cannot have taken that out with you. That's something which has to be left far behind. So, again, what we have over here is this Pirud, or Levarer, and he's starting with Metatron. Metatron is actually really interesting because if you happen to have at home, I know some of you don't, but if you happen to have at home a book which is called Malachi Elyon, which is an encyclopedia of angels. It's written by Reuven Magoliot. It's published by Mossad Rav Cook. And he has half the book on good angels, half the book on bad demons. And you can find Metatron. A lot, a lot of material Metatron. Very, very popular angel. It's made it into comic books and so on. And uh, Metatron is very uh, good PR on Metatron. Metatron, according to at least one source, used to be a person who lived during a time of darkness. And that person was Hanoch. Everyone was evil and Hanoch was good. So there was a birur that took place. And if you read the Targum Yonatan on the Pusik there, that that he no longer is among those that live below, those who are this generation of wicked people. Rather, he goes up and he becomes somebody who is good. So again, this idea of the Pirud and, and mentioning Metatron and menti- mentioning that Metatron represents the 49 levels of Panim, Shel Tahor. Now also the Panim over here is interesting because one of the ways that Metatron is going to be described is going to be the Sarha Panim. Anybody who read my book, Crowns on the Letters, or for that matter, if you read the Agadah without reading my book, Crowns on the Letters, about Elisha Ben Avuya when he goes up into heaven during whatever vision that is of Pardes, is that he sees Metatron who whose job it is to write all the things. So he is the one whose job it is to write the good deeds of Israel, and because Elisha ben had a bad day, then all of his good deeds got thrown away, and that is definitely a bummer. So, so this job that he has, is described in some places, is as the Sar Hapnim. You have the Melech, and then you have the Sar Hapnim, and the Sar Hapnim is the one who's in charge of all kinds of things. Now, all that may be important for another reason, which I will already tell you now. If you look in source number one, uh, no, sorry, if you look on footnote number one, just to save space, we did some footnotes here. Now, this is a footnote just directly dealing with who Metatron is. So this is a book called, called the Zohar Chai. The Zohar Chai is, re- is relatively more recent. It is uh, written by a great Hasidic Rebbe, and he writes that, from Kamarna, you need to know, Vayikra Ach Yosef Chanoch Metatron, Vayikra, Ach Yosef Chanoch Metatron Nar Yosef Ashchina Karela Metatron Shehu Yosef, which is telling you right away. And now the other thing that we always seem to get back to, other than Gar is to getting back to Yosef. Yosef is also the Sarah Pnim. Yosef's job down here below somehow is connected to Metatron's bar, and they're both called Nar. That's part of what they're Nar Ivri, and this is also he's young and he's taken and so on, which is Chanoch. Again, all is relative, but now you realize there's this Yosef aspect. If you look right under that, a book called the Megale Amukot, he writes, which is the best name I think of any book ever written, Yosef besod na'ar metatron, vuhu na'ar. Because Metatron is also called Na'ar, and Yosef is called Na'ar, and therefore this connection between Yosef and Natron, which hopefully now you realize took us right back to this week's parsha. It's the spiritual power of Yosef, which now you realize is also connected to Metatron. So maybe now you think you understand a little bit. Let's go back to the first source. Metatron, Tahor, Umitzido Shel Samael, 
Now, some don't even like pronounce it. Arbim Vitesha Panim Tar, which is the 49 levels of, sorry, 49. Keneged, right? Arbim Vitesha Panim Tame. So if you look at the footnote on on him, Vayivater Yaakov Vado, Vyavik Ishimo, Zesamael, Saro Shal Esav. So what what you're back to now when I talk about this pirud or this biror, this extraction, it, it would seem to be that things need to be extracted when they are completely fused together, which means this connection, and maybe it's, maybe this is simple, maybe it's not simple, but the separation between Yaakov and Esav is a profound separation. Rivka be able to be prepared for that. She needs a prophecy to be able to understand that there needs that there is a separation, and they're going into two different directions. So now, what's important about so far? We got to like four lines in this source, and all, and what we understand is that we need there to be a separation. We didn't get to Egypt yet. We understand part of this basic separation is going to be ultimately between Yaakov and Esav. But it's interesting because some of us know, and maybe we'll see some of it later on. This is just a little foreshadowing that when it comes down to the war against Esav, it's actually going to be fought by Yosef, or for that matter, Mashiach ben Yosef, and so on. So therefore, the existence here, and right here, Metatron and Samael, which means this angel, which somehow represents, this good angel, somehow represents Yosef, and then something represents Esav, the power, then these are these powers, and they need to be separated. They need to go in different directions. So therefore, at least maybe some of us can understand a little bit of where this is going. Umisha zochel lechaber hei, and He represents, of course, God, one of the names of God, Yud He Vav He. Misha Zochelachaber He, Labrim Vitesha Panim Shel Tahor. So, what, and what's the He? Shuhuchamishachum Shetara, five. Now, what happens when we add five to the Memtet? What do you end up with? Don't, tell me, don't tell, give me a, a numerical answer because it's wrong. Naase Mate. Memtet and He becomes a Mate. And what, of course, is a Mate? A Mate is the staff. Which means we talked at the very beginning of getting rid of Yetzirah and getting rid of all the Tameh and, and being able to get rid of the Yetzirah, to get rid of the Ra. So how do you do this? You need to give your Yetzirah ten makot, right? In order to be able to do this, you need, you need to align to Torah. You need to align to the places of purity. And when Torah aligns with purity, then you suddenly have this magical ability to be able to get rid of the Yetzirah. Now, so far, that is what the Zohar has been telling us. Why? Why Yud? The Yud is the ten makot. Shehu eser makot. Vahainu, hey, sorry, hainu, hayud min elokim. So you take away, now, again, it writes Elohim here, take away the Yud, or add the Yud, and we'll see what happens if you take away the Yud, or if we take away the He for that middle, that matter. Umishum kach nikra mate elokim. And that's why it's always called mate elokim, because this goes together. Now, what you now may have recognized is, yeah, we're talking about the Yetzirah, and yeah, we're talking about that separation, but now you realize that the, that the metaphor which has been used is a metaphor which comes right out of our leaving Egypt story. And, th- and that's really what we're up to, is leaving Egypt, even though I made believe that we're talking about Tubishvat. But n- n- now we're up to leaving Egypt, and now we're there with the Mateh. And all of you have heard, again, that Kabbalistic idea that we sunk down to the 49th level, and now you realize why that is connected to all this as well. Ubal ha-Mateh hazeh huvav. The one who has the Mateh, that's, recogni- that, that's connected to the letter of Vav. Vav is always a connector. Vav always means there's a connection. 
right? Yes, Avav is Avav in the Mishkan, Avav. The word Vav is, is are all the connectors. The Vavim are connectors. The letter Vav connects the the two things. So Avav is always a connector. And the connection over here is that once a person does all this, then they're able to make a Brit with God. And the Brit with God means that, and the Yud Gimel Midot, which is after we mess up, after the Chaita Egel, that, that, that never comes back empty. Now you're wondering what Elaim is. Elaim is somebody who can't speak. She'ilem, but Elaim is Elohim without the hay and the yud. So you just now removed that hay and you just now removed the yud, and now what you're left with is Elaim. She'ilem b'li hay, barekam. V'zeo shomer yako, lulei elokei avi, elohei avraham upachad yitzchak, hayali kata rekam shalachtani. Had it not been for the God, right, the God of Avraham, the God of Yitzchak, then I would have left empty-handed. Now, there's a subtlety to this, and again, I want to read a little bit more, but there's a subtlety to, to what's going on here, and that is we were talking about, first of all, we're talking about our neshamas. Secondly, we're talking about leaving Egypt and the Makot. And then what we're talking about now is Yaakov, and, if ya- and Yaakov would have gone empty-handed had it not been for God. Because it says that Lavan changed his wages ten times. Notice the word ten. Ten is going to be connected to the Makot. Uva'ot yud and therefore, Lavan was unable to speak. Remember, God comes to him the night and tells him, you can't say anything, good or bad. You can't speak anymore. His ability to speak is taken away. On the other hand, let's keep in mind something else. What is the koach of Yaakov? Hakol kol Yaakov. So Yaakov goes and prays, and therefore he doesn't go empty-handed. On the other hand, Lavan is left without an ability to speak. Nishar ilaim reik. Beli Torah Again, speak. Without the ability to speak, and therefore without Torah Shabbat. Misha mitpalel tefillah, but somebody who knows how to pray, somebody who knows how to pray properly will not ever come back empty-handed. There's different ways of accessing or having tefillah go to God. And the only ones who know how to direct their tefillah are the ones who know the secrets of the Torah. So, First of all, I want to assure you that when I taught this last time, I did not teach the Tukune Zohar. This is not where I started. I, I, I may have mentioned one line in passing, but that's why I'm saying that today I'm going in a slightly different direction. What I did is really went into a bit more into source number two, and source number two is the commentary of the Vilna Gon to this passage in Tukune Zohar. And he says something which... After you see it, it's obvious. Before you see it, you don't think about it. On those words, where Yaakov says, I would have gone empty-handed. Again, talking again about that word, Elaim and Elohim to Elaim. Elaim, v'ha'inyan ki Yaakov v'lavan dugmat Yisrael b'mitzrayim. That Yaakov being extracted from the house of Lavan is a prototype of the extraction of Am Yisrael from Mitzrayim. So it's at this point that we have to pause again. Because how far is he going to take it? What's the answer? 
He's going to take it very, very far. He's going to take it further than you can imagine. But right now, and, and we can be, we, we can now paint this with the broadest of strokes and say, yeah, one is talking about leaving another culture and heading to Israel. And the other is leaving uh, another alien culture and heading to Israel. So yeah, I guess the stories have some kind of similarity. Now, let, let's be perfectly honest. Other than the similarities, there are also going to be differences. And it's some of those differences which are going to be quite important in terms of where we're going. But let's continue and read the Gur again. So let's now pause. He says, in both, it's not just a question of leaving. In both cases, we could have left with nothing except for the clothing on our backs. The former slaves, you know, had we told the slaves, okay, just go, just run, you know, we would have gone. But God says, when you go, you're going to go gadol. So there is this divine promise. On the other hand, Yaakov could have worked for all these years and his wages gets changed and Lovin rips him off and he ends up leaving with whatever he leaves with and gets out. But in both cases, there is this further element that somehow God, somehow, God does something miraculous and in both cases, now you can, you can tell me, oh, but they're just completely different. Yaakov does these things we still don't begin to understand unless you, you want to study the biological uh, impact of uh, of birthing of stars and sp- stripes and whatever else it may have been there so again it's not it's not the easiest thing to understand what happened god did something and on the other hand when it comes to leaving egypt so therefore god oh, again did a manipulation and that manipulation is that god gave the people this uh, desire to somehow give their rechush to to the jews but in both cases they leave now the other thing that he said is notice and we may have missed this along the way that when when Yaakov did all of this, he actually had a staff in his hand. He had a makel. So therefore, he had a staff in his hand, and what he's pointing out is, pay attention to the staff, because it's really the same as, and and, and, and this is what does the Eser Makot, and this is what, the, and this is midah midah for the ten times that Lavan changes his uh, his wages, so therefore he gets struck with ten, and he gets struck with ten, or they get struck with ten, and therefore he's saying that there is a little bit more similarity than maybe you realize than just a geographic move from one place to another. Vahamakel, who, right? So, who, hey. And he goes, no, it's the makel, um, it's interesting if you look at the makel, and this I did speak about when I when I talked about this last time, and I, this is where I ended up going because I ended up going to the Vilna Gons commentary on Chad Gadya, and, I, and I'll explain why I did that and why that was the major focus. Is in the Chad Gadya, of course, there's something which is called a chutra. The chutra is those of you doing Shtai Mikra Echotargum will know that every time it says the mate, the Aramaic is chutra. So the chutra is the mate that Moshe is using. So it's interesting that this actually goes back to this point. Now, the reason I went to the Chad Gadya there is that he ends up focusing on what we touched a little bit, and that is Yosef and Mashiach ben Yosef. And in his commentary to the Chad Gadya, he tells us, he tells us the secret of everything is Yosef. The secret of everything is Mashiach ben Yosef. Why was I concerned about that? There's a book which is called the Kol Hatar, which is reportedly written by someone in the Rivlin family, the cousins and students of the Vilna Gon, 
Gaon, where he talks about the, the Gaon's teachings of redemption, and there the whole book is about Mashiach ben Yosef. There are those who claim that the book is not authoritative, and the book was written late. By the way, there are references there to Heir, there are references there to Yom Yushalayim, and there's some really interesting things. The book says, oh, of course it was just written later, but the main thesis of the book is about the role of Mashiach ben Yosef, and that's in the Vilna Gaon's commentary to the Chad Gadya, which actually is published a long, long, long time before the Rivlins came about. And what I was trying to show is the authenticity of the Vilna Gaon's teaching regarding Mashiach ben Yosef. So that's why I was very, very focused on that area. And you can see how I can do that directly. But there, as I said, there are certain pivots that I want to take. Yeah, It's the same idea. It, it accomplishes the same thing. He then continues, I'm skipping a little bit. It's like the line there, one, two, three, four lines towards the end. And Yaakov and Moshe therefore become these similar personalities. And we're skipping a little bit. And the same way that Yaakov ran away, the same thing was in Egypt. Right, Derech Vachule, Kamasha Katov, Batukin Izoro, Pukna Kadamaita, Denafko Bemenusa, Vachain Derech Shoshit Yamin, Vachain Vyugad Lavan, Biomashlishi, Vachaini Sigubo, Biomashvi, Kamosha Katuvi, Dochachari Derech Vachule, a Kol Kimo Bimitrain. Now, if you didn't catch what he just now did, that was re- very impressive because we'll, we'll look at it if you didn't catch it because that was just incredibly convincing what he said. Vachain Kol Hamaase. Everything about these two episodes, lemisha midaktek, somebody who pays proper attention. So what, what I really wanted to do, but it would take far more than the time that we have, is to try to go through every single thing. I mean, uh, but it's too much because you, you really have to go back from the day that Yaakov was born all the way moving forward, even though it could be. That the major emphasis is going to see. This is the question: If it's really, I mean, is is the leaving of Egypt? Should we be focusing on Va'era and Bo or Bishalach, or for that matter, when we're talking about Yaakov and Esav, should we be talking about Toldot Va'yetsei, or should we be talking about Va'yishlach? Just to note for a second, Va'yishlach and Bishalach also have a similarity to it right. in terms of the, the in terms in terms of the names. Um, it, it, one of the places, if you listen to the Creator Torah this morning, you catch up again on Shabbat, is one of the places is Sukkot, and you also know that's the place that Yaakov first gets to when he gets there, so he calls the place Sukkot. So when the Vilna Gaon says, oh yeah, everything is the same, part of what I'm wondering is, if I would have, we would have been sitting and the Vilna Gaon is giving sheer and say, how many connections do you have? Give me a number. So again, I, I have no idea what that number is. I have no idea if he would say, oh, there are 11, there's 15, there's 38, there's 145. I mean, I think the number, when he says everything is the same, I'm suspecting that that number is far higher than we imagine it right now. But what he just now gave us is incredible. But I'm going to read a little more and then then we'll go back and try to prove the point. And then we're going to see where all this takes us. And he says, And therefore, when we tell over the story of leaving Egypt, what is the main part of the Haggadah? That's why we're telling over about Lavan. Right? That's why we're talking about Lavan over there, because it's part of the story, because it's the same story. Right, vid right. What's loma hechayud lo hushav rekam v'imigin deit ma belovin v'tuchlaf la shiva rekam v'lovin lakab kolam im ko 
יום העקודים, וזה עובד יוד התאבד לנס, כמו ביצים מצרים, תעשו מכות, היו עשרה ניסים לישראל, כמו שקוב עשרה ניסים, נעשו לאבותינו, וכן ביעקב לבן לקה בממונו, ונתקיים ביעקב כמו במצרים, וכן יצאו ברכוש, וכן יעקב טוב ומאשר לאבינו. So essentially, he, he gave us the רכוש as a starting point, he gave us the ten מכות, and then he said something about leaving, let's, let, let's look to see what that is, because as I said, that, that's going to, First of all, it's going to, the good thing, it's going to take us back to this week's parsha. So afterwards, when you complain about the shir, that, oh, barely talked about Peshalach, so now we get to talk a little bit more. V'yugad l'melech Mitzrayim, source three. V'yugad l'melech Mitzrayim ki barach ha'am. So notice the phrase, they ran away. V'yugad ki barach. V'yafach levav paro. And then there's this manipulation in terms of paro's heart, which is interesting. Because what does the manipulation do? The manipulation causes him to chase them down and will end up causing his death. Now, What he didn't mention is there also is going to be the manipulation of Lovan's heart. God is going to come to him at night. He's going to warn him. And that's going to actually cause there to be a lack of confrontation, which means it's going, there's going to be confrontation which will be verbal, but eventually he's going to be told he can't speak and he's going to become elame, as it were. And, and there's much more, by the way, to what happens then by that confrontation. But let's notice the words, Vayugad, Melech Mitzrayim, he was told, Kibarach, and he goes and gets the Rechvo. By the way, the word Rechev goes back to Yosef, which I don't want to over. I mean, right? The, right? I'm not going to bother saying much more than that. Um, he chased them. So go back now to, now we'll go to source number four, which is going back to Bereshit Lamed Aleph. I want you to look, we'll start a little further down, in Pesachov Bet, it's the same thing. Right? The same words, the same words are there. That's what the Vilna Gon pointed out. He goes, it's the same words being used. That he was told, and they, and, and, and power, right? Power was told. Lovin was told. Lovin then starts chasing him down. Power starts chasing him down. When do they catch up and when's the confrontation? On the seventh day. So in this, in our story, in Parsha Peshalach, so that's when the splitting of the sea takes place and God does this other incredibly miraculous things and then the Egyptians are all killed. But how does the story end up with Lovin? Well, it ends up slightly differently. They end up making a covenant and in the covenant they end up creating boundaries. There's going to be a Birur, a boundary, and a real separation between the two. And we'll, we'll stop at that for the moment. Let's go a little bit further back now in source number four. So this is after he makes the money. The attitude has changed, which of course is the beginning of the story. In uh, in Shmot, the attitude towards the Jews has changed. Yosef had now 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 the Jews and, and those are the footnotes that I put. Yosef and so on. The other thing is he says, and you know, I worked with all of my strength. He changed my wages ten times, which now you realize this is also a uh, a part of that story. The other thing over here, which is interesting, is in Pasuk 
Now that's something which you're not exactly sure what she was doing, you know, by itself. Why is she doing this? And there's all kinds of theories why she took it. But what happens when you do what the Vilna Gon told us to do and read this story within, through the prism of the other story, then I think it gets connected to the footnote that I put there by number four, and that would be that also the gods of Egypt are going to be judged as well. So over here, her stealing of his god now becomes much more interesting in terms of, uh, of, of that further connection. So again, the terms here are similar. The dream the night before, Vayavo Elohim Alavan, Pasuk of Dalid, Arami Bachalom Halayla, go a little bit further down, Lavan chases them down, Vayaseg Lavan, and Vayomalavan the Yaakov, Pasakavav, Masita, Vagot Laviv, the Negev, and Naikishfuyot Harev. Lama Nichbetel of Roach, Vatagnovoti, Velohigatali. I love the, now that word Hagadah there is also much more interesting. And again, if the Vilna Gon were here, I, I think that he would point that out as well. Lohigatati, no, Vigatatalavincha, Belait, no, yeah, you have to tell over. And again, contrast, comparison. So if you notice my footnote over there, what, what's it going to be? It's going to be that. So where did she get this idea to? Uh, yeah, from the from the Elta Zayda, from the Elta Zayda Lavan, right? Lavan, listen. A bunch of Litvaks, none of them know how to party. So uh, where do we get our party from? We get our party from Lovan. Lovan makes parties. That's what Lovan does. He makes a party for one daughter, I'll make it for another daughter, I'll make it. Lovan likes parties. So Lovan said, well, they know we would have made a party. So, um, but, but it's interesting is the two people, that, that's what I'm saying, is that I, I have no idea what number he would say, but my suspicion is it's so much beyond what we imagine right now, and that's why I, w- I would want to go over this again and again and again, really with a fine-tooth comb to try to make these comparisons, and uh, my suspicion is that there's just an awful lot. Um, if we'll continue a little bit. Pasuk Mem Gimel. Vayan Lavan Vayomer El Yaakov. Now, I want you to note what he says and then where he goes with this because you can end up with the exact opposite conclusion. Pasuk Mem Gimel. And this is the key Pasuk. Vayan Lavon Vayomer El Yaakov. Habanot Benotai. By the way, if you pause right there, but there's more, so I can't pause right there. If I would pause right there, so yeah, kill all the males and save the girls, right? So one, one thing, but it's not, what he, not where he's at. Habanot Benotai Vabanim Banai Vahatzon Soni Lihu. Everything is mine. And by the way, that power would probably agree with. Everything is mine. I own everything. Why? Because you're, you're my slaves. And he goes, therefore, let's make a covenant. And, and also here he talks about testimony. And the testimony is also the aid. It's going to be testimony. Which is also interesting because, in, just in terms of the last time that Yaakov had made a matzeva, that was by the Sulam. That's a while ago. The Sulam is also quite interesting to us. But again, I'm not so much sure how much we want to go there. Vayomer Yaakov le'achav le'tu avanim v'chu which again reminds us of when Yaakov runs away, when he leaves Israel, and, and then gathering all the stones and. Uh, and so on, and, and both in the Pshat and also in the various Midrashim over there. Vayasu Gal, Vayachlu Sham Al Hagal, Vikra 
lolovan yegar sahaduta, the Yaakov Karelo gal ed. So that there is some kind of a covenant. Right? Don't take any more wives, which is interesting. Right? That, that this is going to now become a division. There's now going to be a fence between the two of us, and now we've created a complete separation. Which means the separation of Yaakov and Lavan is by a covenant, by a meal, by words of saying, I would have made a bigger party if you gave me an ability to. And he says, everything is mine, but let's create a complete separation between the two of us, which really, in a certain sense, is the opposite of one another. Because if you're saying, if everything is mine, then there is no separation. Which also now lets us perhaps understand all of this a little bit more. Leaving Lavan is not just a question of geography. It's not just a question of political, geographic, economic. It's a question of creating separation and distance between the world of Lavan and the world that Yaakov is about to enter into. Of course, you can then go back and say, but Yaakov, Tariag Mitzvot, Shemariti, and so on and so forth, but there still needs there to be a birur, there needs there to be a separation. And I'll say, now with what we've seen from the beginning today, just like when we leave Egypt, we need there to be a separation, there needs to be distance. Of course, what's interesting then is with Lavan, it takes place by, I'll say, a proverbial handshake. We agree to be separate. Here's the boundaries. This is yours. This is mine. I'll stay here. You go there. Even though I just want to say everything is mine. So because Lavan wants to say everything is mine is why it's so important now to create the separation, which means it's almost like Robert Frost's cynicism, which gets cited as wisdom, and that is that good fences make good neighbors. And he's saying, let's create a fence. Let's create a fence, and that way we will have this ability to live our own separate lives, even though on a certain level we shouldn't, but nonetheless. And the temptation for Yaakov, perhaps, to have stayed with Lavan and stayed with family and stayed away from that other confrontation, which I don't want us to forget about, because there is that other confrontation, which means... which. To, to a certain, yes, to, to, to a great extent. But it's that other confrontation that till now we've just completely forgotten, and that's the one that we shouldn't be forgetting, because I gave you a hint about that from the very beginning, because ultimately it's going to be the separation between Yaakov and Esav. And those of us who remember Parshat Vayishlach, there's this other thing which is waiting for us, and that is that Esav is waiting. Once we finish with Lavan, then Esav is waiting. And Esav is waiting with his soldiers. And if we go back to Parshat Vashalach, somehow when we finish our whole experience with uh, Paro, and they're, again, completely different way of having that of having that separation when we when we leave Paro and we leave Egypt and then and they end up in the bottom of the sea and, and, and all that, then Amalek is waiting for us. Which means which means again, when the Vilna goes says, Yeah, everything is the same, of course everything's the same. Incidentally, there's another parsha with the same three letters, and that's Shlach. And in Parshat Shlach, we're also on the way to Israel. That's what's interesting, is Vayishlach on the way to Israel, and Bishalach on the way to Israel, and in Shlach on the way to Israel, and that doesn't work out, or what happens afterwards, then the Mapilim go, go and try to go by themselves, and Amalek attacks them. So therefore, Amalek is... Yes, 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 yes. If you want, I'll show you the Pasuk. <laughs> sounds like you just did. Anyway... <laughs> 
<laughs> Source five. All that I want to look at is the first pasuk, and this is what we're doing very quickly because I told you in the other one I spent more time in this. When Yosef is born, that's then what generates everything. Okay, now it's time to go. It's Yosef being born is the catalyst. If you look then at source, ne- if you look at source number six, it's when they again this week's parsha. All the people they take their. Their primitive weapons, which really is what Vachamushim, source six, Vachamushim Alubene Yisroel they take their weapons with, they're armed. Vayikach Moshe etatzmot Yosef. But Moshe took that Moshe. Now that was already hinted before between the between the Vilna Gon and between the Zohar, it was the Koach of Yosef that he takes with him, because again, Yosef is connected to Metatron. It is connected to this ability to fight against Amalek. Noticing source number seven, when she grabs him, and, she, and he runs away. In source number eight, the Mechilta points out, that the splitting of the seas, because the sea saw Yosef, and that, and that, which, which means it's the birth of Yosef, which is the catalyst to begin, and then it's Yosef's remains, even which have this ability. Everybody's armed, and they think they're going to have a fight, but it's it's the, it's the remains of Yosef which causes the sea to be uh, split. And if we go back to our battle with Amalek at the end of this week's parsha, in source number nine, and of course, who is Yehoshua? Yehoshua is from is from is from Yosef from Ephraim. So and, and and then you just notice all these other things. Mateo Mateo Lokim in his hands and Yehoshua and then the the various letters of the name of God and the name of Yehoshua and there and Emuna. There is a great deal of information going back to the song that they sing after the splitting of the sea. Kash is important here as well in uh, back. Chapters before, when they went backwards one step, it says, Now you go to Rashi, and as soon as Yosef was born, that means that Yosef is going to light the match and burn the straw, which is represented a representation of, uh, of Esav. And again, we'll leave it at that. But again, there are all of these elements which come together as well. And all that is mentioned, the Gemara in source 13 as well. It's, it's, right, and so on, where you go, God is not amongst you, right, which, by the way, is actually in Bishalach, before the word, because they said, oh, is God among us or no, and then Amale comes, and then, and then they go up, and, and so on, and they uh, wipe them out. So yes, Amalek is, is there as well. So that's what I'm saying, is that there is this larger issue that needs to be uh, paid attention to as well. But, if, if we're going to make everything a little bit broader, then there is another element that I want to point to. And again, this is where we didn't go at all. And let me just say a couple more things about this. When, when I try to retrack my steps, one of the things that I didn't know is how I found that Zohar in the first place. 
Uh, there's certain books I can tell you that I found something because I was just learning it straight. And I was not learning that Zohar. Uh, I did not get there through my own learning. And the comment of the Vilna Gaon, I didn't get the directly, which means I must have gotten to some kind of a cliché. So what that cliché is, so, uh, you know, there's many, many years worth of possibilities where it could be from. But what I did notice is that one person who does speak about it or his students wrote about it were the students of Rav Moshe Shapiro. So if you don't know who Rav Moshe Shapiro was, he was one of the most significant, I'll call him Bali Machshava of the last generation. And a lot of people, a lot of people were his students who then teach over things that he uh, that he had said. And the number of books, some better, some worse, that quote him. And he, and I, I, I did the simple thing. I, I, I googled that Vilna Gon, some words from the Gon, said, now who quotes it? And I saw people going back to various a couple of different books, which that I have at home, by the way, a couple of, so there is a likelihood that I would have read it in one of those books. So I'm saying it's it's possible. I, and then as I was looking, I actually found a shear that he spoke about this. So he passed away a couple of years ago and I found a shear. I listened to the shear this week, which was really interesting, but I did not do most of what he did. He spent a lot of time with testimony. Maybe I'll do it touch testimony. He spent a lot of time with black and white, love and his white, and the, and the importance of separating. And uh, he spent a lot of time with Aramaic, with that, uh, that, that term which was used in Aramaic in the Torah, and uh, I'm not dealing with that as well. But there was one other direction that is pointed to, and that is the continuation of the Lovin story. So in order to understand this, I first want to touch one thing, and then we'll see how all this connects. In the Az Yashir, which we already saw the Kash, in the Az Yashir in Source 15, Az Yashir Moshe B'nai Yisrael, and we know the words, um, Ze Keli Ve'anvehu. So what does that mean? This is my God and I will beautify. Good. And then later on it says, in Pasuk Yudzayin, it says, Mikdash Hashem Konenu Yadecha. So if you look at the Targum in both of these verses, in 16 the Targum says, Ze Keli Ve'anvehu, Dein Eloki ve'evnele mikdash it should be. Mikdash Eloka. And I'm going to build a beta mikdash. Zekhele van vehu, this is my God, and I'm going to, so beautiful, I know I'm going to build a beta mikdash. In a source, in the Pasuk Yitzayin, which is a little easier. Atar levei shechinate et kinta. Hashem makdisha Hashem et kinta. I will build a house for God. Which means, by the way, long before the golden calf, at this sea, the people have a revelation. There is this teaching in the Mechilta that Yafilu Shivcha Bayam sees even what, even what Yecheskel didn't see. They see a Merkava. They see some. They see a Beit Hamikdash. They see the Beit Hamikdash Shomala. They, they have a vision of the Beit Hamikdash Shomala, and they say, "We're going to build the Beit Hamikdash. We're going to bring it down below." By the way, this should also help us with one other thing. This should also help us with the Sulam Yaakov. Because Yaakov wakes up after saying the Sulam. The Sulam is also something which connects you and there's a vision of heaven. And then he wakes up and says, oh, I'm going to build a Mikdash. Which means I'm going to build a Mishkan. And the other thing about the Sulam, of course, is that the Sulam in Gematria is 130. The way that it's spelled in the Chumash. Which, by the way, is the same thing as Kol Yaakov. It's, it's a Hakol, Kol Yaakov. Hakol is written without the Vav. Hakol Koyakov, it's also 130, but more importantly, Sinai is is 30. And of course, we understand that Sinai somehow somehow ends up morphing into the Mishkan and ends up morphing into the Beit HaMikdash. If that was good, then great. If not, then also great. We're going to skip. Th- Source 17 and 18 
are what takes us to the Ramad Avi, right? What's right? Be, that's the beginning of Parsha Kitavo. What was the very end of Parsha Kitavo? Of course, that's Parsha Zachar, a Malik. Which means this, and then Kitavo is when I get to the Beit HaMikdash, which means that's not an accident. Which means there's this fight against Amalek, then you get to Sinai. There's this fight against Amalek, and then I go to the Beit HaMikdash and I bring the first root, and I say the Ramad Avadavi, and I go back to leaving Lavan, because that's actually the beginning of the story. We'll skip 19, which is Rashi. 20 is the whole thing about the Sulam, and he's afraid, and he wakes up, and I'm going to build the Beit Elohim, and all of that we know. Yaakov, of course, is going to come later. He's going to be frightened later on again when he's about to have his confrontation with Esav, and then the night before he has a confrontation with Saroshel Esav. See, then I would actually make the... I would actually make the... the that nocturnal, strange section, I would actually compare it when Moshe goes into the hotel, right? The Bates Motel, right? Somebody tries to kill him. Oh, I don't know how, how else. <laughs> the Bates Motel. Someone pulls a knife on him. <laughs> you have a better way to call it? And now you're thinking, so how long I've been saving that? Since last, since last night. It's only since last night. Only, only, no, no, only since last night. So those two scenes of, of Yaakov's life being threatened and Moshe, see, somebody said before the birth of Moshe or, or Moshe's life being threatened and on that, in that strange scene that they both emerge from that is, is interesting and there are also angels in both of those scenes. So, right? And, and, that's, and that, that's part of what's Important, but again, Yaakov wakes up, and it's time to build the Beit Hamikdash. And we're going to skip through all these things having to do with being afraid and having a Munah. You see in twenty-five Hakol that you see the Kol without the Vav. Wonderful, but we really wanted to get to source twenty-six because source twenty-six is in Parshat Balak. So you're saying, why in the world are we in Parshat Balak? And that is because Parshat Balak speaks about speaks about Bilam. And why are we dealing with Bilam? So, one thing that I want you to note is, oh, also there's a Malach Hashem over here, Baderech, and then, and, and there's a sword which is pulled out, we have the donkey, Pasuk Vayamod Malach Hashem Bimish'ola Kramim Gader Mizeh Gader Mizeh, and there is this crossing over of the fences, by the way, also notes Vayachet Aton Bimakel, Notice the makel that you may not have noticed before. And then he says, Yeshli cherev biyadi, and I would have killed you, and so on and so forth. So, why are we here? Source 27 is the Targum Yonatan. Vayamod malach Hashem bedochak shviot tsar shebeemtza bena kormim makom shehikim Yaakov the lovon gal umatseva mitzad mikan umatseva mitzad mikan vishbiu shlo lavor zehagvul zelahara. Because what it's about to tell us, which is going to be very clear in the Medrash Tanchuma, is that Lavan is Bilam. Now, you just don't, don't bother me with biography. Don't bother me with when they live. It's saying is that, no, you want to say reincarnation. Say whatever you want. But it's saying Lavan is Bilam. Lavan bikesh lakaratakol, Bilam bikesh lakaratakol. And therefore, even to put Bilam as one of the advisors to... Uh, to Paro, the, to, to kill them all, I, which is interesting. 
power doesn't want to kill them all. Power wants his slaves, but Bill wants to kill them all. And and for love and say, oh, I, I would have done terrible things, but God stopped me. So now suddenly he seems a little bit free. But oh, even over here, again, God is going to stop him. So if you look at Medrash Tanchuma in 28... What talks about the gal? Azesh Amar Katuv Tochatzitz Regel Bilam Al Gal Lefisha Avar Bilam Et Ashvua Shenishbali Yaakov Shenemar Imlot Avar Tagal Azev Et Amatziva Azot Lara U Bilam Zel Lavan Shenemar Our Army Ovid Avi Val Bikesh Lechlotet Yisrael Nikra Our Army. So it's saying no. That this. I mean, if you look back where he comes from, he comes from the same hometown. But it's saying no. Bilam, you know, as descendants, perhaps if you just want to put it that way. Bilam had the obligation of keeping the vow that Lovin made. See, I, I want to go back a couple of steps, then we'll, we'll move a little bit more towards the uh, towards the end. And that is that once this birur takes place, and there are terms which take place, and there's a covenant which takes place, then that is obligatory upon the descendants as well. Because Am Yisrael, we're on this side, and right. See, l- l- let's go back a couple of steps. Everything is the same. Yaakov goes as one solitary person and goes into the Bait Levan and he merges with all these tribes. It's the beginning of Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael go down as a small group, 70 people, and they emerge as Am Yisrael. Which is the other thing that really, when you look about these, about these two situations, is Am Yisrael emerging. The thing which is completely different, and the reason we wouldn't have considered it even by ourselves before everything is pointed out, the thing which is so different is the way the story ends. The way the story ends is that Paro and all of his people are dead, and Lavon, we make a peace treaty, and everything is okay. So what's interesting about all of this is that it's claimed, no, sometimes enemies don't keep peace treaties. Should, right? Should I say that? Should I say this again? Sometimes enemies who really have in mind to destroy you, right, they don't keep peace treaties, they just become opportunities to be able to push things off as much as they, as much as they can. Over here, where is Rabbeinu Bechaye? Rabbeinu Bechaye is in 33. He says that, that God was very upset. Why? He, he, was, he was using skills which were not his. So that means that part of what Bilam did is he tried to curse us with the Kol Yaakov, which, by the way, obviously should all be taking us right back to the Yaakov and Esav, and again, Amalek emerging out of all of, out of, all of this. The, the the aid from the Gal aid is worthwhile pursuing. On the one hand, in our parsha we have an edut, which is in source thirty four, which is the man again out of nowhere. Oh, put this away for edut. So you say, where did edut come from? There, well, there was edut was a key part of that other story. The other thing is eventually we're going to get to the the Beitam, to the Mishkan. And the way the Mishkan is going to be described in Source 35, Asuli Mikdash, and what's going to say, Vetitena te'edut, asher itene lacha. So over here there is this edut by this Hargil Ad, and over here we're going to have this edut by this Har Sinai, which, again, we're not going to say again the Sinai and the Sulam and so on and so forth. And that's, by the way, is a Gematri, which is in Chazal. And 
finally taking it to the end because he realized the Beit HaMikdash is the thing, and that's 36. And one of the things Chazal says is from all the, from all the blessings that Balak or Bilam gives, all of the blessings that Bilam gives, it actually gives you a hint about what he wanted to curse. And over here it says, he looks and he says, Matov Alecha Yaakov, Yisrael. Which means what he sees is the Mishkan, what he sees is the Beit HaMikdash, what he sees is the Batei Tefillah, what he sees is the Kol Yaakov, what he sees is our ability to, again, have that Sulam and reach up to heaven, and that's what he wants to completely destroy. So the point of all of this as I said, is I wanted to go back and to re, you know, track some of the steps, took a couple of different steps in different directions regarding this teaching, which starts off with the Zohar, making a Birurus, to see leaving Egypt not just geographical, but there's a spiritual element which is essential. And that was also, when you go back to leaving Lavan, there was this element. That comparison between the two was already there in the Tukuni Zohar, in its raw sense. The Vilna Gon says, of course it's there, it's everything, it's, it's the whole story, everything is here, and even pointing out that's why on Pesach night we include it when we go back to Aramid Avedavi because it really is the same story. What I try to point out is at least some of the, what I think is the more obvious elements over here as uh, for all we know we'll come back to this in another 10 years and then find another 20, 30, 40, 50 connections that the Vilna Gaon had in mind but Bezrat Hashem will, uh, will, will do that and we'll come back and we'll try to understand it again and go back further because as I said even though we saw a bit of it I'm convinced that much, much more. Obviously this all begins with the Eitzadat Ovarah, and it all begins with the separation and the Birur, knowing which tree to eat from, which not to eat from. So with Tubishvat as well, you should know which tree you should be eating, you should be eating from, and uh, you should not be eating from the dried fruits which come from Turkey. You should be eating. You should. You, you, you should be. You should be eating from the fruits of Eretz Israel, and uh, hopefully even a new fruit, be able to say a Shechianu. And uh, I'm not sure how possible that is right now if it is from Israel, but Bezrat Hashem, we should all be able to enjoy the fruits of Eretz Israel for many, many years.